Good morning. I'd like you to join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Harlan Sanders grew up in Kentucky. He quit school after the seventh grade. Because he lacked an education, he bounced around from odd job to odd job until he was in his 40s. That's when he opened a gas station near Corbin, Kentucky. He'd always loved cooking and used a lot of his mom's recipes to start a diner. He gradually perfected a special batter using 11 herbs and spices and cooked his chicken in a pressure cooker. For years, he sold his chicken to people who stopped by to buy gas. Soon his chicken was more profitable than his gasoline. But when the interstate bypassed Corbin, traffic dwindled and he was forced to close his business and auction off his property. After paying his bills, he was broke. And at age 65, he was reduced to living on his Social Security check. 65 years old, he got a Social Security check of $105 a month. But he believed his chicken was something special. So he went on the road selling franchises for his fried chicken. His only requirement was that the restaurants pay him four cents for every piece of chicken they sold. Soon those pennies turned into millions of dollars. And as they say, the rest is history. Colonel Sanders died in 1980 at age 90. And today you can make the case that he has the most recognizable face in the world because his likeness appears on over 12,000 restaurants in over 80 countries. We're all fascinated with a rags-to-riches story. This morning, I have a better story. It's a riches-to-rags-to-riches story. And it's found in one verse. In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, in verse 9, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. People often complain that the Bible is too hard to understand, it's too deep, it's too complex. Personally, I marvel at its simplicity. This verse in the English translation has 31 words, all but four are one syllable. And it's one of the most comprehensive verses in the whole Bible. In fact, the entire New Testament has its message contained in this single sentence. And Paul starts out with an assumption. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he explains what the grace of Jesus is. I'm not big on acrostics, but the acrostics that tells us what grace means comes from this verse. The acrostic is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that really summarizes this verse. We get Christ, we get God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, Paul makes an assumption that we know the grace of God. I'm not going to make that assumption. I'm going to ask you. 
do you know the grace of Jesus? And the word know here is an interesting word. It's not the word for head knowledge or information. It's the word that has the idea of knowing intimately and knowing experientially. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you know the grace of Jesus experientially in your life? Maybe you heard about the fellow who died and stood before the gates of heaven and the guard angel was there and he said, well, how do I get in? And the angel said, you need a thousand points to get in. Tell me about your life. He said, well, I always paid my bills and I never cheated on my taxes. The angel looked at his chart and he said, hmm, let's see, that's worth one one one-hundredth of a point. Man said, well, I attended church every Sunday, I read my Bible through seven times in my lifetime, and I tithed continually. The angel said, okay, let's see. That's worth another one one one-hundredth of a point. What else? He said, well, I gave up my job and went to serve as a missionary in China. I lived in poverty until I died. The angel said, well, great. That's another one one one-hundredth of a point. By now, the fellow was getting a little frustrated. And so he said, at this rate, it'll take the grace of God to get me into heaven. And the angel said, that's worth a thousand points. You see, salvation is 100% grace. And grace is 100% God's doing. And 0% my doing. Romans 11.6 says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You see, grace that has one particle of your works in it is not grace. That's why Ephesians 2.8-9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If your way of salvation contains one millimoment, one nanosecond of you sticking out your chest, then it's not God's way, and it's not the way of grace. In his book entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey describes how he grew up in the church, but then he became kind of disenchanted with the church. And here's what he says, as I look back on my own pilgrimage marked by wanderings, detours, and dead ends, I see now that what pulled me along was my search for grace. I rejected the church for a time because I found so little grace there. I returned because I found grace nowhere else. Have you found grace? Do you know experientially the grace of Jesus? Well, this morning I want us to take the time to look at the details of what that grace means. First of all, I want us to see the cost of grace. Look at verse 9 again. He says, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor. We often say that grace is free. And it is free for us. Grace is free, but grace is not cheap. Grace comes at a high price. And fortunately for us, Jesus was willing willing to pay that price in our place. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a challenging book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he writes about the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. Here's what he says. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Grace is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. It costs all of him, and it calls for me to give all of me. And if I'm going to truly give myself to God the way the Macedonians did in verse 5 of this chapter, then I need to understand what it cost Jesus. And to see that this morning, I want us to see, first of all, Jesus' riches, and then secondly, we'll see his rags. First of all, Jesus' riches. Look again at verse 9. It says, though he was rich. Now, if Jesus was rich, we have to ask the question, when was he rich? Because it's obvious during his 33 years on this planet, he was not rich rich. There's a heated debate today about when life begins. Does it begin at conception or does it begin at birth? Well, let me ask you this. When did Jesus' life begin? Did it begin at conception or did it begin at birth? Neither. Because Jesus' life didn't begin. Jesus has always existed. He is ageless and timeless because he is the infinite God. Jesus made a statement in John chapter 8 that caused the Jewish leaders to pick up stones to stone him to death. Here's what he said. Before Abraham was born, I am. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed, and here's what he said in his prayer. Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's when Jesus was rich. You say, well, how rich was he? Romans 10, 12 says Jesus' riches are abounding Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8 says Jesus' riches are unfathomable. Or if you want to look at it this way, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him 
and for him. So whatever exists, whatever has been created, you name it, it's his. He was rich with unlimited glory, unrestrained power, unending authority. He simply spoke and light came out of darkness. He cast the stars into space and called them all by name. He created everything that exists and it's all his. That's how rich Jesus is. But see, that just sets the stage for this verse because this is a riches to rags story. Secondly, we see Jesus rags. And for that, again, look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Jesus left the eternal grandeur of heaven to come into the temporal squalor of this earth. We like to think of this earth as an amazingly wonderful place, and it is in some ways. But this earth is a fallen, dark, sinful, doomed place. And Jesus left the glory of heaven to come down to this earth. And then even by earthly standards, he lived in poverty for 33 years. He was born in a stable. His first bed was a feeding trough. His parents were so poor that when Jesus was dedicated at the temple, they could only offer two turtle doves, which the Old Testament tells us was the offering of the poor. Jesus could say, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was so poor that when he wanted to make a point about paying taxes, he had to ask to borrow a coin. When it came time to pay his taxes, he sent Peter down to catch a fish with the coin in its mouth. He used a borrowed donkey to ride into Jerusalem. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb that he didn't use very long. See, that doesn't capture the essence of his poverty. For that, let me show you a verse. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Actually, a couple verses. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now theologians have debated this ad nauseum, what it means when it says Jesus emptied himself. All I know is the fact that Jesus emptied himself took him from the form of God in verse 6 to the form of a bondservant in verse 7. He was in the form of God. He emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. 
a bond slave. And I would suggest to you that that is synonymous with though he was rich, yet he became poor. But it doesn't stop there. Because look at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He went from the form of God to the form of a bondservant. And then as a bondservant, as a man, he went to death. And here it says, even death on the cross, which was the most humiliating way to die. Even the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so from human standards, Jesus went from the glory of heaven in the form of God to earth in the form of a man. And then he became the poorest of the poor. But you know, there's more than that. He didn't just come into this fallen world And he didn't just become a man, and he didn't just suffer and die physically. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, He became sin. He became the ultimate pauper. He became as poor as anyone has ever been. Because Jesus took the debt for all the sin, for all mankind, for all time, And it was placed on him. Though he was rich, he became poor. Now, why did he do that? Why did Jesus willingly go from rich to poor? The answer is found in three words in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And those three words are, for your sake. And if you mark in your Bible, which I highly suggest, underline those three verses. Jesus went from rich to poor for your sake. He did it for you and me. Which brings us to the second point in this passage, and that is the value of grace. You see, Jesus' story is a riches-to-rags story so that your story can be a rags-to-riches story. And I want us to look at that. First of all, my rags. My rags. You know, usually we view ourselves in a negative manner when we've done some awful thing. Maybe we've committed some hideous sin. And at that point in time, we view ourselves as guilty. We feel bad. We feel dirty. We feel like we don't measure up. But the Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. On your very best day, when you are doing the very best you can do, the Bible says that measures up to filthy rags. Several years ago, I was in Nashville speaking at the Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. And since I was born and raised in Nashville, I took my family over to see the house where I grew up. And I remember we drove up the street, and and we stopped, and I said, that's the house. And I remember thinking, 
wow, that's a tiny house. You know, when I was a little kid, I thought I lived in a big neighborhood with a big house. It was a tiny house and a tiny neighborhood and a rundown house, and my thought was also, you know, we were poor. Now, I didn't know that I was poor, and that's partly because my mom used to say, you know, if we buy that, we're going to end up in the poor house. I'd never seen the poor house, never knew anybody who went to the poor house, but I figured we're not in the poor house because there's a poor house somewhere else. The reality is when I looked at that house, we lived in the poor house. I just didn't know it. Guess what? Apart from Jesus Christ, spiritually, we are all in the poorhouse. And some of us don't know we're in the poorhouse. But the first condition for becoming rich is to acknowledge that you're poor. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What did he mean? Blessed are those that admit that they're bankrupt spiritually because at that point, you're able to receive the riches of Christ. The precondition for God's grace is to acknowledge your own poverty and your own helplessness. That's my rag. Secondly is my riches. Look at verse 9 again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, some people misuse this verse, and they think it's talking about material riches. It's not talking about material riches. In fact, the Macedonians in verse 2, who were rich in grace, are said to be in deep poverty. You can be in deep poverty materially and be rich with Christ's riches. In fact, when Jesus was walking through the seven churches in the book of Revelation, here's what he said in Revelation 2.9 to the church in Smyrna. He said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. You say, well, what are the riches then? What are my riches in Christ? Well, let me help you with that a little bit. Let me just walk through and and explain to you, if you are a believer, your portfolio, your spiritual portfolio, and I've listed some things you can add to this list. Number one, you have all spiritual blessings. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, what's a spiritual blessing? Well, a spiritual blessing would be any blessing that the Spirit of God can give. And how many of those do I have? I have them all. I have all the spiritual blessings that the Spirit of God can give. I I mean, you can stop right there. That's enough. Riches. But that's first on the list. Second on the list is a relationship with God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. 
John says, he says, behold, look how amazing this is, that God loves us so much that he calls us his children. You see, I don't just go from poverty to riches. I go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And as he closes Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that nothing and no one can separate us from the love of God. How rich is that? You have all spiritual blessings. You have a relationship with God. Thirdly, you have eternal life. There's two aspects to eternal life. One is quantity, the other is quality. You have a quantity of life. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Even when you die, even after the sun stops shining, even after the stars go out, you will still be living on because you have forever life in Jesus Christ. It's a quantity of life, but it's also a quality of life because eternal life is really God's life inside of me. It's his character inside of me. And that's why 1 Timothy 6.18 talks about being rich in good works. James 2.5 talks about being rich in faith. Philippians 1.9 talks about abounding in love. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, we read about an abundance of joy and a wealth of liberality. We are rich in the character of God inside of us as it comes out in the riches of our faith and our love and our joy and our good works and the liberality of our giving to others. We have eternal life. Fourth is a peace that can't be comprehended. Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When the world around me is falling apart, I have inner tranquility because the Prince of Peace lives inside of me. Fifthly, I have a home that will never be destroyed. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. You say, well, what's that place going to be like? I don't know. But I look at it two ways. Number one, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and he's been gone for 2,000 years. Took him seven days. He rested one of those to create the heavens and earth. He's been gone 2,000 years. I figure that's going to be a good place. The other way I look at it is Revelation 21.21 tells me that the streets of the New Jerusalem are made of pure gold, like pure glass that you can see through. So I figure if in heaven gold is asphalt, it's going to be good. You're going to have a home that will never be destroyed. Six in your portfolio is something that I find very much a treasure, and that is assurance. Assurance. 
Colossians 2.2 says, Paul says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete assurance in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. What value can you put on knowing that you know Christ? That's assurance. And then seventh, we have an inheritance. Romans eight seventeen says, As God's children, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, what's it mean to be a joint heir with Christ? That means whatever Jesus inherits, I inherit. What does Jesus inherit? Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 says, He is the heir of all things. Jesus inherits everything, and I am a co-heir with him. I am a joint heir with him, so I am as rich as Jesus is. Wow. Let me add one more thing, and that is our message. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Do you ever think, you know, if I had enough money, I'd just walk around and knock on people's door and hand them $10,000? Guess what? Spiritually, you can. God has not only made you rich, he has given you the privilege to go offer Christ's riches to other people. And I think oftentimes what keeps us from sharing the gospel is we view it as something that nobody wants and nobody needs, when the reality is it's the greatest thing on this planet, and it's the thing that everybody needs and everybody is desperately seeking for. You've got it. And instead of going, i got to go share the gospel, you should say, I get to go share the unfathomable riches of Christ with other people. That's your portfolio, and that's not even complete because you can add to that. Let me ask you in closing today, do you know the grace of Jesus? Have you experienced what it is for him to give up his riches for rags so that you can say, my rags have been turned into riches? If so, You're a rags-to-riches story because Jesus is a riches-to-rags story for you. And as we close this service today, I want us to say thank you to him as we take communion together. And I pray that we will respond in the only appropriate way by giving our all to the one who gave us his all. If you're here as a guest today, you're welcome to participate. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not our supper. There are stations set up with the bread and the cup. The Bible says we're to examine ourselves and eat. So as the praise team comes and sings, I'm going to give you the opportunity to examine your heart, to spend some time talking to the Lord.
prepare your heart and then take the bread and the cup in remembrance of what it cost Jesus to provide us with his riches. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for grace. And Lord, we thank you for this amazing short verse that just describes it in such a simple fashion. Grace is you, Lord Jesus, giving up your riches to become poor for our sakes so that we, through your poverty, might be rich. And Father, we can't even wrap our minds around all that you've blessed us with, but we know it's all based on the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And so today, we're going to do what Jesus told us to do, and that is remember you. And we'll take this simple bread, remembering your body. We take this simple cup, remembering your blood. And we pray, Lord, that you would shake our lives afresh today so that we realize what true riches are and so that we reprioritize things in our lives and really give you all of ourselves in response to your giving all of yourself to us. And we thank you for that amazing privilege today. In Jesus' name.